We're going to turn to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12 and read verse 27 to the end of the chapter, and we'll come back to uh, chapter 13 a little bit later on. So let's uh, look at God's Word, 1 Corinthians 12, beginning at verse 27. Hear God's Word. Now, you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And in the church, God has appointed, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then workers of miracles, also those having gifts of healing, those able to help others, those with gifts of administration, and those speaking in different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret, but eagerly desire the greater gifts. Let us pray. Father, I ask that you would open our hearts and our minds to these words that we have just read, that they may be to us truly the Word of God, and that you would help our understanding of them and our application of these words. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The last two Sundays we've been looking at what we have expressed in our vision document as our values as a church, where we have printed in the document and say, as an evangelical church, we are Father-focused, Christ-centered, and Spirit-sensitive. We have looked at our focus on the Father and last Sunday at the centrality of Christ to the church. And so this morning we're thinking about what it means to be spirit-sensitive. In our catechism this morning, as we work through the text of the New City Catechism, uh, and sometimes in the past we've played the little supporting videos for that, so if you Google New City Catechism Church, uh, or Redeemer Church, New York, you will find the, uh, the questions and the supporting videos. encourage you to look at that video in explaining today's question. But we were thinking of sin and our inability to keep God's law, the Ten Commandments, which we break, as it says in the question, printed in the order of service, we break in thought, word, and deed. Now, here's the thing. If the Christian faith was all about law and rules and nothing else, it would be perpetually disappointing and frustrating because all of us break all of God's rules all of the time. The big difference between us from believers in Old Testament times is not only our understanding of the cross as the means by which Jesus atoned for our sins once and for all, but also the understanding that we're not left to live the Christian life on our own. We are given God's Spirit, God's Counselor, an advocate between us and the throne room of heaven, one who the Scripture says even intercedes for us and interprets our prayers and even our sighs and our groans before God in the throne room of heaven. He is not a force. He is not an it, but the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, fully God and full of personality. 
He can be grieved. He can be ignored. He can be sinned against. He can be disappointed. But when we are a spirit-sensitive church, it means that we're open to the leading, the guidance, the empowering, and crucially, the transformational power of God, the Holy Spirit. Isn't it wonderful that God gives us his Spirit to change us from one thing to another, to help us to move from out there to over there, to help us to become more and more like Jesus, to enable us to know the Lord so that we can call him Abba Father, as we thought of last week, our dearest Father. The trouble is that for many in the Reformed tradition, there is a residual lack of understanding of the Holy Spirit that came possibly from centuries of inaccurate teaching or thinking about the role of the Holy Spirit. It was often assumed in the Reformed tradition that what we call the more charismatic gifts of the Holy Spirit, though I don't think that's the right term to use, but gifts like speaking in tongues or having words of knowledge, it was thought had died out with the apostles. Then at the start of the 20th century, came what people have described in the uh, uh, books that I've been reading over the 20th century, the first of three waves of the Holy Spirit. The beginning of the 1900s, the breaking through of the Spirit in the Pentecostal movement where speaking in tongues became recognized as something very vital to their understanding of God, the Holy Spirit. Uh, And today there are probably a billion Pentecostals in the world, as many as there are Roman Catholics. It is a huge part of the Church of Christ. And then probably the second wave of the Spirit came at the end of the 60s, beginning of the 70s, with the rise of the charismatic movement and the new church growth movement and all that came from that, including a renewal of church music, which has impacted way beyond the charismatic community to the whole church of Christ throughout the world. And then probably a third wave of the Spirit where more traditional denominations began to be open to the gifts of the Spirit, to be open to understanding that the Spirit moves and works in the ways that Paul has described here in 1 Corinthians 12, uh, and spawning a whole sense of renewal within uh, the classic denominations. Perhaps one of the most obvious ways of that has been the Alpha Course, coming out of an Anglican tradition, out of Holy Trinity Brompton, and spreading worldwide as such an amazing phenomenon that so many hundreds of thousands of lives have been changed through the Alpha Course. And of course, Alpha has teaching on the Holy Spirit that some of us may not have grown up with, And perhaps because of that and because of some concerns over that, when we began Alpha about 18 years ago, we developed a paper that talked about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Not going into that today, but if you want to see that paper, you can ask for that through the church office, and Susan will get you a copy. But to be a spirit-sensitive church, we need to be aware, first of all, that the gifts of God's Spirit are all for today. The Scriptures haven't changed. The gifts of the Spirit are for today. 
And if we believe that, then we need to have an understanding of what they are. Interestingly, the New Testament never defines a gift of the Holy Spirit. So let's note a few things. Gifts of the Holy Spirit are to glorify God. They point to the reality of Jesus, and they are to bring honor to his name. They're not to divide the church. They're not to make one set of Christians more spiritual and better than another set of Christians. They're there to glorify God. Then we understand that gifts are to build believers. The old word that we use would be to edify. They're to build up the church, to strengthen the church, to encourage the church in its growth and in its maturity. Look at Romans 12 and verse 6. Paul makes it very clear. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. And he goes on to explain what that means in terms of a man's gift is prophesying. Let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it's serving, let him serve, etc., etc., etc. But just notice when we read things in English, we often miss the impact of the original languages. And commentators tell me that when Paul says we have different gifts, the word is charismata. And when he then says, according to the grace given us, he uses the word charin, which is closely related to charismata. In other words, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are God's grace gifts to the church. And his gifts of grace are gifts that we do not deserve. And Paul says they're given to each and every Christian for the common good and for uh, the building up of the church. So let me attempt a definition of a gift of the Holy Spirit, and hopefully this may come up on screen. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are God-given capacities for service, given for the common good of the church, and distributed by the Spirit around the body as He wills or determines. And we look at 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7 and verse 11. And again, just emphasizing the Romans bit. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. All that we have in God through Christ by the Spirit is for the common good. And 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 11, all these are the work. And he's gone through that list of gifts, wisdom, message of knowledge, faith, gifts of healing, and all that sort of stuff. All these are work of one and the same Spirit, and he gives them to each one just as he determines. So whatever God has for you, are you and I open to receive and to have those gifts? And then we understand that every Christian has the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 13. Uh, we are all baptized, and I prefer with rather than by, one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we're all given the one spirit to drink. So this is something that we understand. Now we come to 1 Corinthians 12, verses 27, following, and I have a slight problem. Each phrase could take a sermon in its own right, so of necessity I'm giving what I would describe as a non-satisfactory snapshot of what I understand the meaning to be. 
There are people who have written books in support of what I will say, and there are people who have written books taking a totally different uh, slant. But here's what I believe the Scriptures teach. Paul reminds us that the church is the body of Christ, and that we all belong to the body so that what follows to me, seems Paul is writing out what should be present in the body of Christ. And he says, first of all, there should be apostles. Now, of course, the apostles in the early church were special. They had seen Jesus face to face. They'd been with him in his ministry. And they, with Paul included, like he said, one born late, are people who had special authority, who derived from their closeness to Jesus had the authority to write what we count now as the scriptures of the New Testament. But the meaning of the word apostle is especially the sent one. So I believe that apostles today are missionaries, church planters, evangelists, those whose ministry is recognized by the church where people are sent out to tell others of Jesus, apostles. Secondly, says Paul, there are prophets, Prophets can come in two varieties. There are those whose job it is to foretell God's Word, to preach and communicate and tell forth the Word of God. But there may also be those who are gifted with a word from the Lord about the future that comes true, and they can foretell God's Word. They have an insight that can be truthful and accurate. How do we recognize such people's gifts? Well, sometimes it's more easy to recognize when they're not present. And we have ancient wisdom from Deuteronomy chapter 18 and verses 21 and 22. You may say to yourselves, how can we know when a message has not been spoken by the Lord? If what a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not take place or come true, that is a message the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken presumptuously. Do not be afraid of him, or put it another way, don't listen to him. How do we know a prophet is accurate or true? His or her words come true. Then thirdly, teachers. This is a gift I think can overlap with prophecy, but it would be a mistake to specialize this gift only with clergy spouting forth sermons as I am this morning. Every church needs teachers to dissect, to understand, to interpret, and explain God's Word in a relevant way. The gift ought to be seen not just in the minister, which I think is a non-biblical term, but in all of us, as Ivan said earlier in the interview, all of us are ministers. But the gift ought to be seen in Sunday school teachers, in leaders of organizations, those who teach and train others what it is to be a disciple of Christ. Then number four, Paul says, workers of miracles. Well, the commentaries I looked at make little mention of this gift, which isn't much help. But interestingly, the Greek word used here is not actually one for miracles, but dunamis, from which we get dynamite. So you could translate workers of miracles as those who are workers of power perhaps referring to those who have a special gift of faith that God gives to people to believe God for the impossible. And that can relate to healing, but not necessarily can have a broader aspect as well. Number five, those with gifts of healing. Notice the plural. 
It is not the gift of healing, but gifts of healing. You see, I believe that in taking the body analogy, we should all pray together for the sick. You may discover that as you pray for the sick, that some of you have particular empathy, even success in praying for particular illnesses. For example, some people may see answers to prayer for various kinds of cancer. Others may see answers to prayer for arthritis, or others may see answers to prayer for other things. If the church is a body, then God will distribute through that body gifts of healing. The major way for healing is through modern medicine, and much of what can be done today would be seen as miraculous not so long ago. So those with gifts of healing will not devalue what God has given us through modern medicine, but will work hand in hand to bring healing of body, mind, and soul. And then number six is those who are able to help others. This is so vague and Uh, 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 that that it can randomly include anything you can think of. Just happened to be flicking through uh, television and discovered a channel uh, I didn't know we had called TBM. Uh, And it had uh, uh, somebody from Holy Trinity Brompton preaching a sermon. Uh, And he was speaking about uh, his wife challenging him to perform a random act of kindness. And she challenged him. She said, why don't you go to Sainsbury's and pay for somebody's groceries? (laughs) He thought, goodness. So he kind of prowled around Sainsbury's and he he looked for a suspecting uh, young woman uh, uh, who he hoped wouldn't buy too much. Uh, And he went up to her and he said, (laughs) can can I buy your groceries? Uh, And then her boyfriend came out who was about five times bigger than him uh, and uh, thought he was very strange and he slunk off into the background. But as he was Paying for his groceries, there was a man behind, came with three items, came to £9.50, and he said, look, I I hope you don't mind, but I'd like to pay for your groceries. Uh, And he paid the £9.50, and the man walked off, uh, uh, and the guy thought, well, that's it. And then the man walked back to him, and he said this, you have restored my faith in human nature. Thank you. And, you know, some of us have an ability to help others, and maybe some of us need to take on board the idea of random acts of kindness uh, and amaze people, because if we have understood what it is to receive freely from the Lord, then we should be able to freely give. But whether it's giving someone who is thirsty a cup of water, whether it's in moving chairs at the end of a service on a Sunday when we're asked to volunteer— Many of us have that gift. All of us can develop that gift of helps. And then number seven, those with gifts of administration. A charismata. All aspects of organization, delivery of programs, getting things done accurately, on time. Uh, All these things are seen by Paul as as much a charismata as the gifts of apostleship and prophecy. Number eight, he mentions speakers of different kinds of tongues. I think we need to see speaking in tongues in a variety of ways. Uh, The gift uh, on the day of Pentecost was a gift of different languages, previously unlearned by the speakers. Let me just take a wee bit of time to read Acts 2 and verses 6 to 12, because this is the astounding thing that happened on the day of Pentecost. When they... And they they is a crowd of pilgrims 
who had been flocking to Jerusalem for one of the great feasts of the Jewish faith, people from many different nationalities. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them, the apostles, speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are now speaking Galileans? In other words, they're pretty rough, uneducated bunch of people. Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. And uh, in the Alpha Course, Nicky Gumbel tells of an instance where a girl was praying for someone. And the girl she was praying for was amazed. And she said, do you know that I am Russian? You have been praying in Russian. The woman had never learnt Russian. And she was saying in Russian to this girl, God loves you. God loves you. And so there can be a supernatural gift of languages previously unlearned. There can be the gift of ecstatic utterance, which can be often part of private prayer. We may not understand what we say. We may often think we're speaking gibberish, but in some ways God gives a a gift that our spirits may be in touch with his spirit. And there are tongues that sometimes need interpretation, which is something we don't have in our worship here in Orangefield. The question may be, why not? I don't really know. And I'm not sure it's terribly important unless the Lord reveals something to us on that score. But we notice that speaking in tongues is the last in the list of gifts and not exclusively thought as belonging to these eight. There are more gifts, and you usually find tongues at the end. I think the difficulty for many is that we tend to call gifts like speaking in tongues and prophecy as charismatic, or as gifts of administration we don't call charismatic, yet we should. For the charisma of the Holy Spirit extends all the way through the range of gifts from church planting to giving a thirsty person a glass of water. And then I think there's a slight difficulty in that we think that the Apostle Paul goes off in a different direction in chapter 13. Uh, We understand, those of us who have done community Bible experience, that the Bible was never written with chapters and verses. Uh, And yet we kind of think that chapter 13 is a departure where Paul says, eagerly desire the greater gifts. And then in the very last bit of chapter 12, he says, now I will show you the most excellent way. This is intimately connected with all that's gone before. And if you would humor me, I'd love you to read out loud with me 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 to 7. Because what I want to leave you with this morning is this. The greatest gift of the Spirit for a Spirit-sensitive church is the gift of love. Let's read these verses out loud from chapter 13, verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, 
And if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. You may not see love as a spiritual gift, but I want to say to you this morning, I think it is. How do you love those you disagree with? How do you love those who have hurt you? How do you love those in the church who have disappointed you and let you down? How do you love those whose personalities, gifts, and interests are so different from you? How do you love those who you consider to be less mature and less spiritually mature? How do you love those you know who are inconsistent, hypocritical, and bad examples to others, and those you know who are sinning in ways you think you're not? Love is the key as Paul defines it in these verses, and it is the greatest gift that the church could ask God for. If you want to be a spirit-sensitive church, let's start with love. Julian of Norwich, in Revelations of Divine Love, wrote this, and I quote, and listen to this, we are so preciously loved by God that we cannot even comprehend it. No created being can ever know how much and how sweetly and tenderly God loves them. It is our nature to long for him. And really listen to this. And it is his nature to long for us. Wow. It is God's nature to long for you and for me. And Jesus commands us to love one another as he has loved us. All these gifts of the Spirit, the greatest of these is love.